what attachment types do a lot of is it confuses the ability to manage something effectively with preference. Oof. Damn. Oof. Attachment types tend to live accidentally, unconsciously from the outside in. Its gift is to be flexible. Its gift is to be able to take on things that other types are too sensitive and too, honestly, too rigid to be able mm. to handle. There aren't really spaces and our culture doesn't really train us to be able to witness each other in a way that um, can help our souls really emerge. Attachment types need that. The Big Hormone Enneagram. I'm John Lukovich, 415, sexual self-praise, 458 traffic. I'm David Gray, self-praise sexual, 9 with one wing, 974 traffic. What up, it's Emika. I'm an 8 wing 7, sexual self-praise, with 854 fixes. Hi, I'm Nancy. I'm a 3 wing 4, self-praise social, with 9 traffic. Hi, I'm Alexandra. I'm a social self-preservation, 9 wing 1, 963 traffic. If you like or hate us, make sure you go like and subscribe on Apple Podcasts and Spotify, and make sure you leave us a review. All right. So how's everyone doing? Nobody cares, Alexandra. I care. I care. Just, you're just doing social niceties. You don't care. <laughs> I'm trying to bond. Just a fucking bond. That's, that's fake social self pres bonding. <laughs> <laughs> so full of shit. Okay. You know fine. it's true. We, <laughs> You're not asking fine. real questions, Alexander. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> just going through the motions. You're just associating right. through social through engagement. Social. <laughs> All right. Are you Why done? don't you be real and, and show up as a real person? Are you, you finished? No, I'm not. <laughs> this is where you say, shut up, Emika. <laughs> yeah, I'm for real. <laughs> just rejecting everything. I just want more authentic authenticity out of you. That's all. All right, I'll remember that. Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> all right. Attachment support group. This so, yeah. force group. Let's do a little intro. Big hormone enneagram. We are broadcasting live from our submersible, going to the depths of uh, the attachment ocean. We have. Uh, we're in this submersible, all piled on top of each other that Emika engineered. So it'll so definitely stay implode. together. Oh, uh, we've got our, you know, cabin boy David. We <laughs> picked up a mermaid, Alexandra, <laughs> and we've got mermaid. the Prince Neptune of the ocean, Josh, with us to <laughs> talk about uh, talk about the attachment waters. It's beautiful. That's so, so much. Uh, this is how in I like meantime, to from now on. Yeah, it, and we're using a Game Boy controller, right? Yeah, we, got, <laughs> we have a Nintendo Switch, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and uh, yeah. So, a special all right. trip to the afterlife. Yeah. So before before we pass pass over, um, please buy my book. Uh, please rate and review my book. I might be doing an Egypt trip in January, so keep your ears out. And uh, if you want to support me, uh, most bookstores have an account with a. A company called Ingram, a distributor, and so please bother uh, local book sellers to get my book in your store. I think that should work. Um, I think that's it. DAA Dark Arts Academy. Do you want to become dangerously perceptive and skilled at seeing the types clearly? So it's been a summer of sexual instinct. That's all the people want to to consume, I guess. So we've been pumping out episodes about <laughs> pumping sexual pumping. pumping episodes out about uh sexual and all the different centers we just did a class that people haven't stopped talking about uh, about um uh social self-press versus self-press socials um experience of the sexual blind spot and um yeah we looked at some examples of how differently um that's the sexual blind spot would be experienced depending on whether you're social self-press or self-press social what else um, we just wrapped up the heart center and it seems like people want one more about the blind spot, but then I feel like that should be it. We should never talk about the sexual instinct ever again. <laughs> sexual boy summer. Sexual boy summer. <laughs> That's a t-shirt. <laughs> uh, we have a discord going. It's, it's, uh, people like it. 
and uh, there's a lot of chatter there. You can find all that stuff in the members area. You can get all this. And if you haven't been typed by us and you're still on the fence about your typing, you can. Uh, we have discounts for all our typing services. You can get all this information at anygrammar.com. All right. Well, I have I have a YouTube channel now. It's it's connected to my website, Saturn Ruled Nine, and I have been covering the um, this uh, this season of The Bachelorette. What I've been doing is just basically. Well, this next episode that's coming out is going to cover episode one and two, but basically I'm going through the episode and talking about the different dynamics that are covered, obviously through the lens of the Enneagram. And um, I've actually been in conversation with a friend about the possibility of, I know this like a discord heavy group, but um, about the possibility of starting a discord specifically to talk about reality TV so oh, that it's wow. compartmentalized. A million discords. <laughs> <laughs> ah, the discord wars. The discord wars. Yes. Yes. Don't but listen to them. Fun. Join Josh and I's discord. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but it sounds fun. It's been it's been getting pretty good response so far. It's been getting pretty good engagement so far. And it's been fun for me to it just is- be in a conversation like this. It's very funny, and it it's yeah, Alexandra is you know using the lens of reality TV and the she, what she describes as like a human zoo. Um, <laughs> talk about really actually pretty deep and interesting personality dynamics that uh, that happen in action that a lot of books and other things just aren't able to capture because they don't see people re- reacting to each other under that kind of pressure. So she was doing visual typing, and it was very funny, but also really good observations and uh so yeah whatever bullshit you have about reality tv uh this is actually really interesting and cool yeah and it's it's i mean it's worth saying reality tv is just not to be watched at face value watching it through the as as just like fodder to observe dynamics that get pushed up under a certain kind of pressure cooker is a way more interesting way to view it and that's what i'm doing and i want more people to talk to you about so please engage (laughs) (laughs) all right then josh boy what do we got yeah, what do we got? We have um, an Enneagram school. Yeah, we have the inter- So John and I have an Enneagram school. You can check it out at theenneagramschool.com. We are, as of like a couple weeks ago, officially recognized by the state of New York as yeah. an official organization. Yeah. Nice. We're coming uh, for all the other we schools. Got, we got permission from the Department of Education to use the word school in our business title. Hell yes. Wow. Um, Amazing. Yeah. So that's awesome. So we are, so it's official now, official, official that we're at the Enneagram school. And probably, as you all know, we did our first class on like a whole developmental theory of the sensors that was in January, February, and we're cooking on some other stuff. Um, One of which we're about to talk about today, the attachment group, attachment support group. And then John and I are still talking about um, creating an intro to the Enneagram course Um, and some other stuff will be on the way. We also have a Discord. (laughs) Join our Discord. (laughs) Um, Discord. Join ours first. Don't screw any other ones. That's right. yeah, that Discord. I have opinions about that Discord, but we're gonna How's have it going? private area. It's you guys created kind of, a private area now uh, for students only. It's kind of fine and actually maybe dead right now. I mean, it's like um, I think it'll be a lot more. It'll ha- be a lot more alive when we have classes going on mm-hmm. that students yeah, can sure. actually be like live interacting with each other about the content between classes and stuff. So we're gonna be using it a lot. Like there's there's gonna. There is now officially a private area for paid students cool. um, who've taken classes. That was important. And yeah, and so, um, yeah, we had a funny incident. We cut, cut out some riffraff. And then we also, um, yeah, so now we're, yeah, the private area is going to be really good. I think that'll actually be the way for facilitating the meaningful conversations that we're hoping to actually have there. Um, we're only doing this attachment yeah. course to get the Discord going. That's it. <laughs> Shut up, <John. laughs> This attachment group is actually the beginning of a war that we're casting upon the hexad types. You guys so. have no chance. One of us can kill a hundred of you. And you know, the squeaky wheel is the first one to go down. So everyone say goodbye to Amica as this is <laughs> last day on the planet. One of me there. is worth like 20, 20 at least. There's, there, there are millions of attachment types. I've, I've just wisened up and uh, 
Join yes. join the winning team. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes. Me and David will wage this. I got I got together. creamed out. David is David an attachment, is an attachment type. type. He's not he's on gonna, your team. He's gonna fight he's gonna, own people. He's gonna turn on you. He's not. He's not on your team. <laughs> yes, he is. He's just more sneaky than you think. <laughs> he's an attachment spy. <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't claim. He doesn't identify as an attachment type. So you have to respect. Yeah. I'm. I'm well, biologically the fact that you're not buying an attachment it. type. <laughs> <laughs> David the fact that you're buying into his <laughs> into his non-attachment type identity means that he's doing a good job as an attachment type. Listen, so way to go. He's, an ama- he's a master. He's going to be at the front. He's just going to remind <laughs> you guys that you're losing the battle, losing the war. God, such Got a big mouth. Of, take all your all your hexady attachment mouth. types are going to be playing on my team. Keep talking, Emika. It's Keep just going to be Bermuda Shut up, versus Emika. Shut up. Just everyone up. else. That's enough. enough from you. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> Mm-hmm. All right. So anyway, everyone. All right. Quick- so today <laughs> we are talking about Alexandra and Josh's upcoming course. The is it officially called the attachment type support group? Attachment support group. We actually we had an interesting. We might be slightly rebranding it to attachment mm-hmm. accountability group. Oh, um, but it's something something like that. Something mm-hmm. in that general direction. Yes. Mm. All right. Accountability. So, can you explain why? Well, yeah, explain. Attachment types well, need you're accountable to not adapt. Yeah. What are we? What are you guys going to be accountable to? Yeah, um, Alexandra. Why <laughs> do we? Why should we be doing an attachment support group? Yes. Accountability question, specifically. Josh. Accountability uh, specifically. Okay, we're not acknowledging Emika on this call. First of all, the attachment support group is a, a hexad free zone. No hexads allowed. <laughs> Hey, if David's in there, he's spying for me, so it's all good. <laughs> <laughs> he's hexady as fuck. So. <laughs> yeah. uh, but that does raise the good Emika's obnoxious, you know, existence does raise the good the good question, which is the wow. first question. Compliment. Oh my god. Okay. Give me a moment. <laughs> regroup. Regroup yeah. attachment types. Yeah. I'm, my lake is disturbed. <laughs> Find your position again. It's like 20 versus 1. That's what it takes. <laughs> I destabilized hundreds of you. <laughs> oh my god. This is going to be one of those scenes where like a bunch of billion what is the like take attachment down a type support group. <laughs> <laughs> this is what they need support for. <laughs> Speaking for themselves. <laughs> Finding their voice. Uh, okay, so. Right. Ready, go. Okay, yeah. So the first question is, why does an attachment support group need to exist? What do attachment needs, what do attachment types need support in? And just if we're going to put that slash accountability piece in there too, why do attachment types need accountability and accountability to what specifically? Um, There are, I don't know, a billion ways we could approach this, but I think if we're going to respond to the accountability piece first, then attachment types need to learn to be accountable for themselves. Not to anyone else necessarily, but to themselves, learn how to honor themselves in a way where they can carry their location into different environments and still be um and still be yeah accountable for their own locations for their own outcomes and the way this is going to be done is by unwrapping and revealing a lot of different um mechanisms that goes on in the attachment type structure can you um for you know one of the, you know remember lucy's critique that we don't we just kind of dive into heavy concepts mm-hmm. so can you kind of paint a like a brief picture of attachment and what types those are and uh what you mean by location and accountability and all that kind of stuff like why would attachment types specifically need some kind of accountability to themselves that you know this this hexad thing is whatever you know what i'm saying Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. yeah um well i think we're actually going to start with a lot of john's or josh's model so josh do you want to start with this sure to like just like loosely defining what attachment is and how it strays from itself yeah um so attachment wow it's it's funny to like just dive into what attachment is some it's, um, it's such it's such a big uh concept so 
um, one way of thinking about so attachment, the word attachment um, is not in relation to what is very popular these days, attachment theory. It's actually a kind of adjacent theory called object relations, which is a branch of psychology that deals with how the imprints of your early childhood relationships carry into adulthood. And there are three basic object relational patterns, attachment, frustration, and rejection. Um, object relations is not, not like a single monolithic theory. It's sort of like a lot of different theorists have contributed to it over time. And we've been kind of unpacking, sort of starting from, I think, Don Riso and Russ Hudson kind of started mapping the attachment, frustration, and rejection patterns to the Enneagram types. And we've discovered as a group over the last um, couple of years, our own distinctions and have kind of burrowed all the way through to the bottom of object relations theory and kind of discovered some new stuff swimming in the like way at the, at the bottom there. Way so, near the Titanic. Yeah. <laughs> near the Titanic. So, and um, attachment is the most common of the three object relational patterns. And um, maybe actually one of the pieces of context is that all three object relational patterns are the way that we we deal with misses of some kind of attunement in our environment. So like um, when we're wanting mom to look at us, but she's not looking at us or when we're wanting to be fed, but we're not getting fed or when um, or even if, you know, uh, later as we're older, if we think something is true and then someone else has, says that it's not true or gives us contradictory information, there's a kind of a miss there. Like, how do I you understand there's like there's a there's a miss from the point of view of um figuring out how do i know it's what what's up and down right here so object relations has to do with um how we navigate misses and attachment frustration rejections are are three ways of doing that um how much context should i keep is this useful this is great um, yeah, yeah, just i going. think i think you know just talk about nine three and six just a little yeah. bit of a brief thing so uh, yeah, in brief, um, we so nine being a potty type, we think that um, that nine is attaching to something that we're calling the holding environment, which is basically like the gestalt of your sensory impressions um, as you move through life. Um, that is an entire like a whole book could be written about what that means, but there's there's basically a way that nines are um, settling into certain kinds of life grooves that. Um, are worthy of investigation because they might not be serving the nine or they might be helping the nine continue to be asleep and um, they might be kind of comforting and numbing the nine as opposed to helping them kind of like engage with their life. So, 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 yeah, so what you're saying here is that part of attachment is getting into a certain kind of groove to get your needs met unconsciously. Yes. Yeah. 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 And so that yeah. nine's doing that through the body center for the right. sake of getting the right kind of holding, right? Yeah, and maybe a, a useful thing to say here is because we've been talking about attachment versus hexad. So we refer to both frustration and rejection as hexad types, and attachment is its own kind of um, thing. And that's visually represented on the Enneagram where the attachment types are on the triangle and the hexad types are actually on that weird hexagonal figure that looks kind of like a spider. One, four, two, eight, five, seven, one. Right. So um, one of the main differences between attachment types and hexad types is that attachment types are fundamentally um, reflexively adapting to their environments and, and in some ways abandoning themselves to adapt to the environment, whereas the hexad types are doing the opposite as a, reflex, as a reflex. They're locating themselves, they're um, discovering and knowing themselves and having themselves in opposition to the environment. So... Um, attachment types are doing that in, th in very, various ways, but nine doing that from the point of view of the body center is kind of like adapting to the, the holding that they're getting from the environment. Three, we think are adapting to um, the way that people are seeing them. So we have this term gaze, which is like just, yeah, the way I'm being seen, um, what is valued around here. Threes will adapt themselves to get the most positive gaze. And sixes, we think are adapting to um, something that we're calling the field of orientation. So external orientation um, serving as a kind of anchor point to help me figure out my way around here, basically like assembling a map of the world and making sense of things using other people's maps as opposed to discovering my own inner guidance. Um, so those are the three kind of different, three distinct forms of attachment in the body center, the heart center, and the mental center. 
And so y'all have been, I mean, us collectively, but then y'all in particular have been um, noticing and identifying patterns that nine, three, and six do in ways they kind of abandon themselves to try to get the, you know, the holy environment or the right kind of gaze or the right kind of orientation. And that ends up setting up a lot of problems for themselves. And because these types are really common, um, they're the, you know, they're the most common types. Uh, it creates a lot of kind of confusing and conflicting dynamics, uh, intra intrapersonally and interpersonally. Right. So like I've talked with both of y'all, uh, about just different things you're seeing. And, um, so kind of like what would, when you talk about like accountability to yourself from the point of view of attachment, like what does that mean? Well, I, I mean, a way to start a different way to look at attachment um, that I think has been discussed and we definitely plan to discuss it within the group and really, really spell it out in, and, mm -hmm. and map it out and give a lot of examples on how this shows up is between the three object relations. Attachment is the, is the object relational style that doesn't give up on the original source. It doesn't accept the failure of the, you know, parental sources. So I am not, it, I'll speak for myself just as an example. Like I have not given up on um, the moms everywhere that I can pick up on seeing me correctly, on my environments holding me correctly, on my guiding sources, guiding and orienting me correctly. And what happens when this, um, <clears throat> and what happens when I get um, a dose of holding or orienting or, um, or seeing that feels good is my entire aim becomes my entire orientation. Then be, I shouldn't use the word orientation. My entire aim and motivation becomes keeping it mm, mm, mm -hmm. and it becomes keeping it. And then if I feel it, um, if I feel any center, I'm triple attachment. So I have all three of them so we can, and so is Josh. So we can just <laughs> use these blanket statements for both of mm -hmm, us. We're mm -hmm. attached to all three. So when we get one of these sources, um, gaze holding or orientation that feels good that feels correct it feels like it's it's really matched even in a moment we attach we attach to it and what that means is is that if i feel those sources straying and we're both social types too so the the um the way that this is going to come across is it's going to feel like a social bond we're going to feel like connection and that can look like um whatever that's besides the point um what happens when these sources feel like they're being at risk or when they feel like they're straying or something like that? When, when I, you know, with a six fix feels like there's something that could be potentially threatening to it. My style is to modify my behavior in order to keep that source. Mm. And so what happens in this um, is that my focus is no longer on myself and my like individual needs, it solely, solely becomes, um, um, it solely becomes a mission of making sure that I still have that source. Okay. And the, and part of the attachment comes in is like, I will modify my behavior in order to keep it. And as a nine, and Josh can speak to his experience as a three, but as a nine, what I'm going to do is I'm going to continue shrinking myself. I'm going to continue um, erasing my own preferences, erasing my own reactions in order to fit into the field of like comfort that has felt good at one point. Mm. Because if I keep it, then I tell myself or the attachment pattern tells itself that um, that, that source will open up to its full satisfaction again. So what you're saying is that as an attachment type, you get some kind of, holding gaze orientation that feels really good it feels like it matches and then even if that goes away the attachment the connection so to speak is is put in place and then the personality organizes around trying to keep it or or uh open it to its fuller potential mm -hmm. yeah. and so how like so how conscious of doing this are you as an how, how conscious are attachment types generally about doing this and um, how conscious is this sense of adapting? Because I think a lot of people don't like to admit that they adapt. I mean, it's very automatic. I mean, it's going to be all, all three object relational styles are so automatic. We don't necessarily recognize that that's what's happening. Mm -hmm. And attachment is no exception to that. I'm modifying myself in micro ways um, that I don't realize I'm doing until I at least my like tell 
um, is usually my anger response or like a building of resentment or something like that. And it is usually when that um, feeling, when like anger gets to a certain point that I recognize that I've been trying to fit myself into a field of like preconceived satisfaction. Mm. Um, that's usually my tell that I've strayed from my, from what is feeling good at the moment. You know, one thing that is common, I think with, with a lot of attachment types is a story of like, waking up after years of being in a particular kind of zone or groove of life and then just being like whoa like like where have i been or what was i thinking or or the 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 sense the sense emerges that i've not been myself mm-hmm. yeah. yeah you know how did i get here um, yeah. yeah and i've had like a couple of like major moments like that where it's like, oh my God, whoa, like I've really, like the last couple of years worse. And I even, even if, you know, in a period of years, I have little moments of awakening where I'm like, oh yeah, like, wow, I've like come back to myself. There'll be moments where I've like, I realized that the underlying entire last three years was in some way a form of self-abandonment. You see, mm. um, for example, um, you know, like um, I found, and this is, it's hard to talk about nine, three, and six separately when it comes to just me, my personal story, because I have sure. all three of those on my tri- trifix. Mm-hmm. But like living in New York, I've found that a lot of times that um, my pattern has been to like not really build my own social world. Like I've, li- I've, like when I moved to New York, I moved in with roommates and then I moved in with another roommate after that. And I sort of just very easily merge in to, other people's social environments. And like, I've had over the course of my life, probably like a dozen or more like friend groups that I've just become a member of that were already established, you understand? Um, And it's because of just happenstance. Like I happened to live in a place where they already had a friend group. And then I just all of a sudden was like a part of them. And then I moved to another, and there's a, there's a, there's been a constant delaying of, we use this word a lot with respect to attachment, individuation which is discovering who quote unquote, I really am. And um, there's a, there's an ongoing project for me of discerning what have I absorbed into my world that isn't actually mine or that it wasn't my choice. And what is mine? What's arising from me? What's not arising from me? So attachment types tend to live accidentally unconsciously from the outside in Mm. as opposed to the Mm -hmm. inside out. And then the project of discovering who I really am and living from the inside out is actually very, very hard. Um, and just a, just a silly example that was actually really hard, really hard was moving into my own place in New York, choosing to come back to New York after some time away during the pandemic. Like it took me of, it took me months and months and months before I got any furniture because I didn't even know what my own taste was. (laughs) And so I had to discover like, what do I want? What do I like? And then there was the, and then there was the terror of what if I choose something and I don't like it? That was just the whole, it was a, it was a, it took a very long time, you know, to make simple choices like that. And I mean, gosh, I, like I could almost tell you any story from my life and, and pull out an attachment theme from it. Um, but this idea, you know, John, your question of what are attachment types being accountable to? Why, why is accountability a good word? Mm-hmm. Because attachment types are not conscious of the way that, um, in the moments they have absorbed something that isn't their choice, mm-hmm. that they have attached and, and, are, and are adapting into an environment that isn't necessarily their choice, that's not coming from them. And again, it's okay to do that. Um, it's okay to like, it's okay to have friends obviously, but like, are, are they the friends that you want? Um, mm-hmm. It's okay to have furniture mm-hmm. problem. Is it the furniture you want? It's okay to have, you know what I'm saying? Like, so absolutely. Um, the, the discovering and the inhabiting and like the, actually populating your life with stuff that is your own choice, your own flavor, um, is a thing that particularly Bermuda types, 936 trifix has a very difficult time with. Um, but on some level in each of the centers, all three attachment types are doing that. And, uh, you know, so in your, your example of having a difficulty of finding furniture, Mm -hmm. I think a lot of people probably wouldn't, even if they are uh, afflicted by that kind of a conflict or, or situation or difficulty, mm-hmm. probably mm-hmm. wouldn't relate to it. Um, but tell me if this is right, that oftentimes attachment types will um, have preferences. Like, I know what furniture I want, but it's often in reference to something else 
right? Like maybe like a, a subculture they you know, affinity for or something, mm-hmm. you know, some kind of other thing, but it won't their their own particular unique taste can they can have difficulty accessing. Is that correct? Yeah. And then a very interesting thing can also happen where as attachment types are waking up to the ways in which they've been um over uh, over attaching into whatever um like universal or like subculture they it's kind of like the question of how do i even know if this subculture is my choice right yeah, like yeah. we are, we aren't born in a vacuum and like for example john as a four like you have a very particular aesthetic taste and you have like yes, tattoos on I your do. body <laughs> that are like referenced from inside however you've also been influenced in certain ways but you have because you're a four Not true. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Yeah, He's so not kidding. But there's some there's an interesting like way that even in the midst of like in a in a field in a field of influence um there's a way that you're um reflexively rejecting influence, right? And then mm-hmm. kind of discovering your own thing. Attachment is just basically the opposite of that. It's like mm-hmm. re- reflexively absorbing influence and then not and then delaying discovering the the inner thing. Mhm. So in terms of an attachment type support group, what would that entail? What would you be doing together? What would you be like, how would it look and how would you be helping or supporting attachment types? And yeah, what would that look like? Um, Well, even before that, there's another kind of way that I want to put, John, you asked the question or or you posed the idea that an attachment type wouldn't, uh, and it's true. A lot of attachment types that our attachment types are not identified with like, I don't know where I stand at a given moment. And I think part of the mechanism of attachment is this extreme ease and flexibility with um, being able to take on new things and work with them with a lot of competence. Mm -hmm. Like I can take my, I can put myself in new environments and flow through them fucking so easily. It is not difficult for me to take on things that are not coming from within me and be able to work with it. Where attachment has to learn to come back to itself is Josh and I have been kind of playing with the image of like a toy that stretches a lot, or maybe I just mentioned whatever, like a toy that can really stretch, like it can bend in this way and it can stretch all the way out this way. And that's just its ability. It has this ability to move in all of these different directions, to take on different shapes, blah, 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 blah. And it does it with ease. It's not going to break it. It's not going to harm it, anything like that. But what will be harmful is if the toy gets so stretched out that it doesn't know its original form that it comes back to. And so a lot of what this group is going to be is going to be the process of, of uncovering what has been a stretch versus what is like the, the, the original form that we're supposed to come back to. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What's so your shape? Be, yeah. What's your, yeah, sh- your shape? Your, your shape. <clears throat> yes, that's right. Because attachment is its gift is to be flexible. Its gift is to be able to take on things that other types are too sensitive and too honestly too rigid to be able mm-hmm. to handle. An attachment type has yeah. all three of them. In all three centers, we have this um enormous ability to be able to work with what is in front of us, whether or not it has come from an internal place or not, we can still move through it. So the risk that gets posed is that we don't um, cleanse ourselves of what we have adapted to, to the point where we forget what our original form is, Mm. you know? And so the reason attachment types can say um, like, oh, that doesn't happen to me. I actually do like, I don't know, the color pink. I like the color pink. It can be confused with like, yes, I took on the color pink and it is a nice color and I know how to work with it, but is mm. it my favorite, you know, mm. is it my favorite color? Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. I think atta- what attachment does, um, what attachment types do a lot of is it confuses the ability to manage something effectively with preference. Oof. Damn. Oof. That's good. <laughs> well, that was good. Yeah. Thank you. So, so I'll, yeah, yeah, I'll go ahead. Go ahead. No, I just uh, so, so the group is to help each other identify what the original form is and sort of like, I guess you catch each other in the act of betraying that. Yes. Um, the group is also a place. I, I'd be fascinated to hear if um, if either of our Hexide boys relate to the need for this. But um, it's a place to come and share and as you're sharing, like there's going to be a lot of open space in the group for people to just share. 
we're going to have some content to teach, but it's really, it's a group. And the group, the group is for, uh, is there to collectively witness you as you share um, and discover in real time who you are. And there is power in the witnessing of a group um, f- for that, especially if, if the group's intention is to help you sense deeper into your own truth, um, as opposed to a group that exists as something that you're attaching into. You understand? Right. Yeah. yeah so, um, you know, most most social groups just exist in whatever dynamic they naturally sort of go into. And then the pace of conversation is set by the assertive types and the, yeah. uh, the topics are set by whoever just wants to jump in and say something. Mm-hmm. So a facilitated group um, that has space and whose stated function is to help you see yourself and to be a part of a group that is helping to see other people, um, that itself is a powerful environment to uh, discover yourself, to individuate. Yeah. Um, and I'll, I'll just say one other thing, like my, um, my whole personal Enneagram and self-discovery story, um, at least one, one major chapter of it began, um, in a context like this, where I was in a, I was living in St. Louis and I, and I attended my first ever Enneagram retreat, which, uh, was facilitated very skillfully by an organization called the Educari Unlearning Institute, shout out. Um, but it was just like a 12 person group in, in this guy's house and it was just very beautiful. And it was the first time that I ever felt meaningfully psychologically safe to admit certain ways that I had betrayed myself as a three. Mm. And, um, like that was the first time I ever admitted things like, you know, cheating in academia and things like that, that I've now like gone through a whole process with, but there aren't really spaces and our culture doesn't really train us to be able to witness each other in a way that um, can help our souls really emerge. And (laughs) attachment types need that (laughs) Um, because without that kind of a space, there isn't the kind, there isn't a container in which their soul can feel safe enough to like peek, peek out. So that's what this is. (laughs) So one of the things I'm hearing y'all speak to is that in a certain way, uh, attachment types have a lot of superpowers. They're able to really witness people and hold people and mirror them and to provide holding and all those kind of things. Um, But they're often not encouraged to do that for themselves. And Mm -hmm. so it sounds like in this, not only are they being encouraged to do that for themselves together uh, with like witnessing and accountability, but also um, I think that those so-called superpowers are stronger uh and you know they're they're more able to flourish and be what mm-hmm. they are like you can't really you can't truly mirror somebody unless you're able to hold yourself too right you can't just right. be a perfect mirror and so it sounds like it could be a, a beautiful experience to uh you know find and locate those kind of abilities that detachment types naturally have and actually put attention into and cultivating the other end of that pole to not only make those gifts more powerful, but to um, to find like the roots of those powers in themselves that is actually of themselves and not just a function of the relationship. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yes, totally. Mm-hmm. Yes, this goes back to um, the original attachment structure being a, a sort of refusal to a refusal to see that the original sources have failed them. You know, that is the reason attachment is always reaching out. That's the reason the attachment story is that the correct gaze, the correct holding, the correct orientation, the correct parenting is coming from outside of themselves. Mm. So what we're going to be trying to do in this group is, first of all, allow allow people to share their own examples. And this is going to serve a purpose that I think is really important because a lot of attachment, the, the function of attachment, or at least like a, a byproduct of it, is that it really operates off of a lot of modeling, Mm -hmm. like a lot of what happens is modeling. So I think creating and cultivating an environment where people are sharing is going to model to other attachment types that that can be done. It's going to model to other attachment types examples that maybe they relate to that maybe will give them permission to open up and like acknowledge that within themselves. And then of course, that's going to be a sort of step one. And then, and then with the ultimate aim to move into a process to redirect that parenting to come from within themselves, to be their own sources of holding, to be their own sources of, of gaze, to be their own sources of orientation. 
but also if they are still accepting it from an external place to recognize that that is an autonomous choice that they're making mm, mm-hmm. as opposed to um a reflex as or opposed a... to what as opposed yeah as opposed to a reflex to really it's it's it should be an empowerment mm. process mm-hmm. there's and, there's also one one other thing i'll say about that is the, um there i think that there's a there's a meaningful growing up process that attachment types yeah. are being invited into which is um like what does it mean to hold yourself it it i mean from just from a practical standpoint but from a psychological standpoint the in order to get to a place where you can hold yourself, you have to grieve um, yes. the truth that the environment isn't going to hold you in the way that you've mm-hmm. been hoping that it would. And so you have to create that for yourself. Um, and um, that can be, you know, so there's, it's, it's, it's very beautiful to awake into yourself. It also can be very painful. Yeah. Yeah. That, that was going to be my next question because, you know, the grief, right? Like the awakening is also a grieving process you know that yeah shattering delusions is really painful and you know not to act like this is all an attachment thing like frustration rejection have a um a false unity brought about by the sort of singular singularness of frustration and attachment but i'm excusing frustration and rejection but attachment has um a more pronounced multiplicity multi, multi um you know Gurdjieff says multi, many eyes so we all have many eyes mm-hmm. and i think that, that manifests a lot more explicitly in attachment types whereas frustration and rejection can kind of flatten those many eyes artificially mm-hmm. and so you know that process of bringing this di- di- disparate selves together uh you know and, and what you said josh about waking up after years of somehow leaning out of your own inner integrity or your own location or your own autonomy um, is very painful and very full of grief. And so like, like what, how do you, do you have a sense of how you're going to work with grief or how it's going to be held or, or anything like that? Yeah. Um, I mean, I could talk about it from like a facilitation standpoint. Yeah. Um, I think that's good. You know, a lot of times what grief really needs is just to be, is just to be met and witnessed and mm-hmm. and and allowed space. Um, you know, grief, grief. The terror of grief is that you don't you feel like it won't have a lifespan and then it mm. will change your life. And you know, but it's um, yeah, just acknowledging that it's here. Um, and especially in a group context where you can bet that other people are gonna relate. Mm-hmm. You know, other people have experienced that or will be on the verge of experiencing. It. So like, it's there's a certain magic in group dynamics like this where um when grief arises it actually it opens up the entire heart space of the group mm, mm-hmm. um and then and kind of like popcorn everyone just like opens mm-hmm. um you'd ask a question about or side question about uh how john and i might relate to this sort of yeah. need for a group and it made me think that for hexat types that at least for me the sort of uh, tapping into sort of like this group intelligence or group attachment thing mm-hmm. by working with these guys and you know building connections and um, there's this there's this like assumption that it's all on me like my whole world is contained in my perspective my ability to move and so to be able to find some co-creative codependent co everything in the stuff that I'm really interested in has been like a very transformative step mm-hmm. to sort of like, oh, I'm not just going to do it myself. I'm going to do it with my friends that I really enjoy doing things with. Like, you know, I, I can discover things in collaboration in real time. I don't have to just go off by myself and do it alone. Um, I can discover my, see myself through engagement with others that, um, and so that it seems like, yeah, I'm discovering attachment. I'm discovering the flexibility that comes from, from taking in something that I initially said no to and eventually integrating it or um, discovering things through other people, even discovering things about myself and expanding how I see myself through other people. Because the reflex is just like, no, nah, I got to go find it myself. I got to go do it for myself. Mm-hmm. I've got to go create it for myself. And so it's been interesting to, um, experience the opposite end of things that okay this is what attachment types are doing 
overdoing all the time, but like you can't really have a relationship where if you don't have some ability to do both. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, this is uh, this is my hexatype support group. <laughs> this is <laughs> yeah, right. it. You know, like I mean, Absolutely. really, the lifespan of this podcast uh, has been like discovering ways that I actually wasn't as isolated as I thought, which has been a good mm-hmm. thing and a bad thing. Right. You know, like uh, Josh, you know, uses the term splinters. Like mm-hmm. I had a lot more splinters in me than I realized, and that like has caused a lot of grief and a lot mm-hmm. of whatever. And then learning how to expand and open in the right way and you know like i know that emika and i uh, you know we've had a lot of like i think emika's put words to it more of like oh i'm this person's helping me see myself uh you mm-hmm. know and i think that's more like your orientation of having your heart center as not as you know as an eight you know it's not you know whatever right. but for me it's like it's kind of been that way but in like a body center boundary social mm-hmm. instinct mix way yeah 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 and um yeah so it's been it's yeah, it's been a thing. So anyway, yeah, that's my end of it. Can you it, say more? Can you say more about the splinters? Can you elaborate what that means? Yeah, well, there's a certain um, there's a way in which things were impacting me in ways I didn't recognize, and there are ways that I was um, trying to control things, like my boundaries, control my relationships in ways to not be affected in certain ways and i was kind of um like my back in a corner and having a very like kind of protected corner thinking mm-hmm. thinking i was not going to be i was not touched or needed to be touched or whatever you know there it's like there's multiple layers where there was ways i thought i was defending against certain things and ways i thought i was uh guiding things in another way mm-hmm. and re- there's been a recognition of how the mechanisms of my control over myself and my environment were um, misguided and actually harmed me. And so a splinter is like a way thing is actually affecting me and I'm either trying to control it, avoid it, deny it, or um, fix it in a way that's actually not that actually doesn't make sense, right? It's like actually not a fix, like like putting some kind of band-aid over and, something. And partly what you're saying is that in a way a a, a somewhat attachment uh, uh modality actually could re- resolve some of that. Like for sure, yeah. yeah like right. especially, you know, in my past if I just gone with a more let's see where this goes. Let's see how this yeah. is. Let's see yeah. how this is instead of going I already know how everything I want need, and this is how it's mm-hmm. going to be. Right. Um, if I was just like more vulnerable in certain ways and more open, uh, more exploratory, uh, especially in terms of interpersonal relationships, and just like yeah, not so like singular. Right. Um, I think I would have saved myself yeah. a lot of grief. So yeah, that's that's my hex yeah. version. Yeah, I mean, like I think of attachment as soup. Right, and so splinters is the opposite of soup. You right, know, individual, yeah, non-mergy, <laughs> little sharp pieces. Yeah, yeah, that's excellent. The splinter idea came from the idea that a rejection rejection types have a wall, and then a splinter is something that just like a sharp object that gets through without their permission. Mm-hmm. You know, like. Yeah like a two putting up a rejection against gay's wall and then somebody sees the two in a way that doesn't conform to their self-image and it's like ah, fuck you know like yeah. when you get a splinter <laughs> um and then they have a whole histrionic reaction but in a soup it's like somebody could see me it's like whatever shard would have penetrated the two and like been really painful just like enters mm-hmm. the soup mm-hmm. <laughs> and becomes mm-hmm. part That's of right. it you Solves. know yeah yeah yeah, it's kind of like being in a submersible deep in the water, and you can kind of just see the different colors and shapes outside of your porthole, and they all just, you know, and then sometimes wow. the Titanic comes into view. <laughs> the yeah, splinter like of the iceberg. <laughs> exactly. I couldn't have said it better myself. Nintendo controller. <laughs> Malfunctioned. <laughs> So something I want to say in regards to the group as well, too, is um, there's a lot of there's a lot of conversation and a lot of um, 
yeah, a lot of conversations that we've engaged in that talks about the aim of attachment being individuation to come to a localized point of preference and, um, you know, emotional identification and blah, 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 blah. Um, and while those are, I, I think part of our aim with the attachment support group is to aim to find those locations in moments and is to aim to, to aim to find that that individuation, um, as I said earlier, as like, what is the original shape that you take on before the, what is the original shape that you have before you start to stretch in all of these different directions? That is the location. But I want to, um, I want to make sure that it's clear that this is different from the sort of attachment becoming like a localized point that loses its flexibility. Mm. The aim yeah. is to be able to give attachment types the tools to come back to your original shape, to let go of the ways that you've stretched out, to forces that have come in, da da da, to recalibrate and to like um to 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 cleanse yourself of of all of these different you know forces that you've been working with and experimenting with and playing with and and you know facilitating and stuff like that come back to your original place so that you can get ready to do it again if that's what you choose to do so this is not uh attachment types need to be like hexan types right this is not yes i think that's very important to so uh, and we and we yeah. haven't been we we need this there's definitely more exploration to be done on this but it is no accident that the enneagram itself is one triangle and then a hexad mm -hmm. it's not three triangles like it's not mm -hmm. attachment and frustration and rejection it is totally. attachment and hexad so i totally. think that is like a very important thing to emphasize that the attachment um journey is not actually to find like an individuated point where their abilities stop being their abilities it is to continue to come back to like their original form in order to be able to use their their powers for whatever direction they're going to point it in. Right. Does that make sense? Totally. We were, uh, Alexander and I were hanging out with our friends Jason and Amara uh, this weekend, and they're big in the Gurdjieff stuff. And, you know, they were talking about a certain interpretation of the process Enneagram and how at the nine, three, and six points, uh, when you're applying the Enneagram process to like an organization, um, basically like the hexad points represent these different stages in the mechanism of the way things flow within a within an organization or within a process. But those things only really flow and work when the nine, three, six points are filled in, those shock points. Those are, you know, those are called shock points or intervals in this thing where information or qualities from the outside moves in and out of the system in a in a fluid flowing kind of a way and mm -hmm. so when those air arenas are naturally just given the right um quality the rest of the whole enneagram process starts to flow and so there's something I don't exactly know what that would mean in terms of typology but there's something uh, that was struck me about the intelligence of there being so many attachment types mm -hmm. and how important attachment types, all type, everybody's work, but especially attachment types work is because it's kind of like, I feel like attachment types are the ones that are going to lift up other attachment types. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's like, I don't know, there's something there. And so um, I also want to just add that like uh, Alexander and Josh are great teachers. And that I think that there's nobody better equipped to do something like this because, I mean, uh, those are the two folks I'm probably spending the most physical time with. <laughs> and, you know, like all their examples and stories and like ways they've genuinely suffered uh, and learned from their suffering and made mistakes and then come back and like really seen the architecture of, of their own patterns is very profound. And they have, they both have a really strong quality to see what's happening to other people, uh, often far more than the person sees what's going on in themselves. And I think mm -hmm. that is an attachment gift. Mm -hmm. And so I think that Alexandra and Josh are going to be amazing facilitators of this. And also to add, uh, you know, we kind of had, this is like kind of a heavy talk, right? Like this kind of discussion is sort of heavy because whenever we're getting into the object relation affect, that's where all of our suffering and our mistakes come from. And I, 
from talking with them and from my sense of them and all and just hearing them talk about the course like I think it'd also be kind of fun and interesting too you know and it'd kind of be funny like it's not just this sort of solemn like let's be accountable everybody kind of a thing like you know it's going to be very human but I think you know since Mm -hmm. we're focusing on why attachment types might need collective attachment support uh it does have more of a heavy quality yeah I love that you just named that thanks for everything you said about us too Mm -hmm. but the the grief part or the uh the heaviness piece yeah it's funny like when you when you wade into this territory there's a there's a sense of like a reverence for the delicate like the fragility Mm -hmm. you know Mm -hmm. of this material um because this is very tender psychological material Mm -hmm. um and as you unpack it and as you start as you start working with it then it does actually become very like a levity a levity emerges but it but as you wade in it it has this kind of solemn thing so yeah i was thinking it'd be interesting to talk about just a little bit of like structural stuff like how it's yeah i want to yeah Yeah. format stuff yeah um and then some of the topics also just like bullet point some of the topics that yeah also like when and what the logistics are and the cost and all that kind of stuff yeah right 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 um so we're thinking it's going to be eight weeks um it's going to be like a two-hour session probably i think at like 6 30 eastern mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um and uh this is a this is a prototype for something that we hope to potentially repeat in different formats down the line maybe even like a live retreat kind of version of it will will happen at some point but um we're gonna keep it on zoom for now um and it's gonna be recorded it's gonna oh that's a good mm-hmm. question uh probably I think, I think, not actually yeah like, I what think do you think a, yeah yeah that's probably I think it's possible that the like pedagogical parts will be pedagogical parts. You know, the yeah. teaching aspects could be recorded. That's where it's still in talks, but because we plan for this to be a really intimately revealing place, it will definitely not be recorded. Those parts yeah. will not be. Yeah. Yeah. And there's gonna be like we're gonna front load it with some basic theoretical orientation to what is attachment in the context of object relations, a little bit of more textured, fleshed out version of what I said in the beginning of this podcast. Um, and also there's going to be a class where we kind of talk about, like set up the structure of, of each individual of attachment type. So class on nine, class on three, class on six, but really it's going to be mostly open space for people to share. Um, mm-hmm. there's gonna be a huge emphasis on the rules of engagement. So like mm-hmm. how we, how we show up to this place and how we create the social container in which these attachment patterns uh, can be safely explored. That's a huge, huge deal. Um, if anybody's interested, one of my favorite thinkers on the topic is Parker Palmer, who has a thing called the Center for Courage and Renewal. Um, and he facilitates circles of trust. And he has, so I've been very influenced by him and the way that we think about creating these kinds of spaces. And then there's also going to be things like poems and songs to evoke kind of more uh, subterranean right brain kind of material that um, won't just be kind of left brain lecture stuff. Mm-hmm. So yeah, we'll kind of like, kind of like massaging the inner world a little bit to mm, like let mm-hmm. things surface from underneath the soil. Mm, yeah. 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 We do plan to have um we do plan to have themes and we will it'll it'll kind of be at our discretion and and almost at that that it'll be new ideas and themes will be added in as needed. But there are plans to address certain um like dynamic themes that come up with the attachment mechanism. As, for example, like ways that we self-betray, ways that we operate out of a need for reciprocity, ways that attachment can be manipulative and controlling mm, even. Mm-hmm. Um, I do think that this, and, and, you know, Josh and I are kind of still in conversation about some of these aspects, but we seem to agree that there is going to be, the aim is going to be a kind of three-part process, which one is to just direct, um, to identify what needs to be extracted. And then a big part, a big like bloodletting piece, like where we're just going to let it out, identify it, talk about it, um, all within the hopes of recal, all f- with the hope of recalibrating by the end, so that everybody's ready to just go back out into the world with a new sense of of, of where they're operating from. There's something else I was going to add into that. Oh, that the rules of engagement. I feel like I want to emphasize that a little bit more because. Um, I think a lot of times when attachment types enter group spaces like this, part of our mechanism is to be hypersensitive to what we are supposed to be doing, how we are supposed Mm. to be showing up, what we are expected to answer. 
um, the, the tone that we're expected to answer with stuff like that. So Josh and I are being very careful about setting up rules of engagement so that the environment stays very absent of these micro directions that Mm. attachment types can attach to and perform for, you know, Mm. so a lot of this is if somebody shares, there's our specific rules around not telling that person what they're doing, but asking questions to invite what they're doing out of them autonomously. Cool. You know, attachment is very, it's, you know, it's sneaky. So it has to be approached (laughs) delicately. (laughs) Very cool. Yeah. I have, um, yeah, a couple other things to share. I want to just name a couple of like headliner topics that we've been kind of excavating. Yeah, um, good idea. That will be explored. So one is um, this really interesting. We, we've been exploring the unconscious expectation of reciprocity in relationship that attachment types have. So that's kind of one big topic. Um, another topic is um, what it means to be living from a place of obligation versus inspiration. Mm-hmm. Um, Can you say a little something about what that means? Yeah, one, you know, like one, one way attachment types maintain their pattern is by um, an unconscious, an unconscious obligation to keep things the way they are, um, or like mm. not to disturb other people, or to, um, or to be performing you know, to a certain standard that they've placed on themselves that's right assumed about themselves yeah yeah um and so all that comes from a certain a certain kind of um yeah it's a certain premature framing of where my life energy is supposed to go um Mm. based on based on values that i've absorbed um Mm -hmm. from other people or something like that as opposed to letting the fountain just flow um and so like what is it like what does it really mean to how do you be yourself you know like what does that really mean one way to frame it is you're sort of like discovering the the inner fountain of of actual inspiration. Where does your life energy actually want want to flow? Um, what are you actually interested in? What are your actual t- mm-hmm. those kinds of things? So, um, and there's a lot more texture in that space. Oh, a really interesting one is um, being others equal, mm-hmm. where the the attachment thing is on some level in each sensor holding a certain sense that like the environment will provide this for me, or I want the environment to provide it for me, which is um, asserting a certain kind of status relationship. Like Mm. I like the environment has something that I would need and want, and therefore I must adapt myself to it. Um, And so, yeah, being others equal, like um, the relationships that you're in, that you find yourself uh attaching into where you you just you have that sense that you're not really being yourself in that relationship um one of the thing one way to explore that is through a certain kind of well what do you what what attachment needs are being met in that relationship um what's the unconscious status dynamic that you're kind of locked into and what would it what would it mean to really be this person's equal so okay so that's a good taste teaser um I also just want to mention that part of the whole like <clears throat> this is a this is a sort of like let's let's discover also what's healthy about attachment as well. I mean uh, we have to we have to get through all this like what is the shadow of attachment because it's very hard to pin down um because of the nature of attachment being so soupy as David said. Um but I think on the other side of it like attachment is uh yeah, like what's cool about it? What's cool about being flexible? What's cool about being adaptable? Why? Um, what's what's what is there to celebrate about it? And in particular, I just want to make this point so explicit is like this this community, um, and this podcast has a very and this kind of, that we're in has a very hexad forward kind of value system, and a lot of attachment types are attaching into that mm-hmm. um, as a sense of like, oh, my attachment. Like my project now is to individuate and basically become more hexad-like. Hexad, right? Yeah. Um, and so that it's that itself is an attachment pattern. You see, so mm. people who are like mm-hmm. diehard fans of the community, um, so that it's that wants to be explored. Yeah, that individuation for an attachment is maintaining yeah. its adaptation, its ability to adapt, its mutability, its flexibility. But what does it mean to do that in a way that feels um, autonomous and like a 
like a real decision versus just a reflex and a response to outer forces that feel stronger. Mm-hmm. All right. We all, so uh, do you have a, is it weekly? You meet weekly? Oh, yeah. It'll be weekly for eight weeks. Well, something okay. to also say is that because of the, um, because of like the nature, like the energetic nature, the emotional nature, the mental nature of what we plan to be doing, it is going to be a limited capacity. Okay. Yes. We are going to cap it at a certain amount of people. So this is not going to just be open fully to the public. It, we plan to do really intimate, um, intimate work here. So it is going to be limited. I'm I think every time that. that it's done. Yeah. How many people are you thinking would be a good number? I think 12. Oh. <laughs> oh, wow. All right. That's serious. Yeah. yeah. That's great. Wow. Um, and then I had another question. Um, where can people go to sign up or find information? Is it the Enneagram uh, School? That's a good question. Yeah. The Enneagramschool.com will have a page on it that will be easy. It will be easy to find. Go to the Enneagramschool.com and you will see the information and you can sign up there. Tosh mm-hmm. is going to make it in 30 minutes flat after this podcast. <laughs> Three powers. Yeah. It yet, but it will. Yeah. We, have the, <laughs> we have the flyer. We'll just need the link. And I think by the time this comes out, we can maybe put this in like the show notes or something so that by the time this, by the time this comes out, it'll be up and live already. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Cool. Well, all right. Josh, was there anything else you wanted to say about the, we could just like clip it in or is it, do you feel finished? I guess I'll just say, I'll just say this kind of a space is like such a big deal like for like I really cannot emphasize how transformative this kind of an experience was for me in my life and how it became for years like a, an oasis that I would return to um, that was like very 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 important to me so like that community that I learned the Enneagram where I went to that first class did a lot more work in that community in similar spaces like this and i'm really excited to do more stuff like this with the enneagram school because i mean it just had such such an impact on me um so yeah i mean i i don't know i i have a i have a real sense of like i take this very seriously you know i have like a real sense of reverence for it yeah and similarly i have a kind of opposite orientation to it where i recognize I feel like I'm doing some like past um, healing almost through this. So I feel very, I feel very passionate about what we're working on here because this feels like this kind of attention that we hope to provide feels like the kind of attention that would have saved me from a lot of heartache um, and would have really kept me calibrated in a in a way that I think I needed. So Josh and I have a lot of, we have a lot of fire behind this. We have a lot of passion behind it. We're very excited and we hope you guys join us. I think it's going to be really, really good and really important. Amen. Cool. All right. All right. Right, yeah. yeah. All right, guys. Yeah. All right. I guess yeah. I'll see you all on Thursday. All right. All right. Cool. He's in. Yeah. All right. Later. Bye, guys. Bye.